You hear a lot of chatter about Medicare for all, but what exactly do proponents of that plan want? What is their plan? Are we looking at just expanding the current program or is this something entirely new? I'm Dwayne Lester, and in this Insight to Action, Charlie Katabi, Americans for Prosperity's health care policy analyst, explains not only what this would look like, but how it could make things a great deal worse. Here we go. Charlie, it's great to have you on the podcast again. I want to thank you for being here. Uh, before we get into the uh, discussion of Medicare for All, please tell everyone a little bit about yourself. So I'm the health policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity. So my role here is to educate our state chapters in our 36 states, as well as our fantastic grassroots team that you work on, um, and just to help educate and bring everyone up to date on what's happening in healthcare policy, really help people connect why we work on healthcare policy and what very good healthcare policy looks like based on our vision for what a good society is. So that's a little bit of background in what I do and why I'm here. One thing that we keep hearing about, and we've been hearing about it for, for years, years, it's, this isn't something that just started in the past decade. This is something that have been, has been talked about for decades, um, probably since the beginning of Medicare. But we keep hearing about how we need to expand Medicare to cover everyone. We need Medicare for all. Now, before we go any further, please explain to me so we, we know we're all talking about the same thing. What is meant when someone says we need Medicare for all? Medicare for all, the system that Bernie Sanders and other supporters talk about, promises to create an entirely new government-funded health insurance system that would offer comprehensive health insurance benefits from primary care to long-term care. And it would cover everything without any cost to the patient. So no premiums, no deductibles, no co-pays of any kind. And it would be available to everybody, regardless of your age, regardless of your income or your health condition, will be available to everybody. Now, on the surface, that sounds like a fantastic program, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I suppose when you say no cost to the participant, I mean, the, the Robert Heinlein part of my brain says there's no such thing as a free lunch. But yeah, yeah. I, I suppose on the surface, the promise of that plan sounds great. Yeah. The problem is that if you attempting to create this one size fits all program on an entirely on an entire system that is incredibly complex and different across the country would impose massive consequences on our society covering that many people and and paying for that level of benefits would impose enormous tax increases on every on individuals and businesses to pay for it in addition, it would wipe out many of the options that people currently have among their health insurance and their health care that they're currently enjoying. So there's a lot underneath the surface that, propo that proponents of Medicare for All are not talking about. It, it sounds like you're saying that this isn't just a matter of saying we have this Medicare program. <laughs> Let's stop limiting who can get into it and just open it to everybody. 
but you're saying let's create a, a new program with new rules that will cover everyone, but will also say you cannot give health insurance, you cannot do these things, and we are going to tell you uh, in Washington D.C. what your health care needs are in. I, I don't know. I keep going back to Waukesha, Wisconsin, because maybe I just like saying Waukesha. I could say Northwest Missouri, where I'm at. How you know we're going to tell you in Northwest Missouri what your healthcare needs are and what the market is and the best way to go about your business. That yes. sounds a lot less appetizing, a lot less attractive. Yes, when you when you hear people say Medicare for all is in t- is simply opening the door of a program that already exists to everyone else, those people are either either don't know what the proposal is or they're lying to you. Because what the program would actually do would make it illegal for anybody else to opt out of the program. If your health if another health insurance program is offering primary care, for instance, that health insurance program would be breaking the law. If they want to offer specialty services, they'd be breaking the law. The Medicare for All proposal would prohibit any health insurance company from offering a competing service. So this would essentially wipe out any health insurance option that's currently existing right now in the country. So that's 160 million people that are currently on an employer-based health insurance program. They would be thrown off of that pro off of those plans, and they would be forced into Medicare for All. And I can talk a little bit about why Medicare for All isn't actually the Medicare program. Let's well. talk about that. But my first question, I'm hearing this, and I always try to take the the position. I try to take the position of the proponents of it. And there are those out there who might say, Charlie, getting rid of all these healthcare programs, getting rid of all the healthcare insurance providers, that's a feature, not a bug. I mean, that's what we want. These guys are crooks anyway. They're ripping people off. What do you, what do you say to the folks who say health insurance providers are, are bad actors anyway, and it's no big deal to see them go? I would say that they are selling people a bill of goods, if that's what the argument is. The original argument, and which is a correct argument, I would say, for anyone in the healthcare sphere is that the goal should be to dramatically lower the cost of care. So anybody can afford high quality health care, regardless of their income. That is a major goal anywhere in the country. We also want to make sure that in emergencies, people are taken care of. That's an incredibly important goal. But that means we need to think about what are the solutions that will actually improve people's lives and lower the cost of these essential services. Going after a health insurance executive is not the goal. If you're, if you, if our goal is to actually improve people's lives, that's what we need to be here for. But throwing a, <laughs> a health insurance executive out of a job, that's not going to cover anybody. And that's not going to get any cancer treatments to any patients. So what's the difference between Medicare for all and the single-payer healthcare systems we see in, in other countries that are often pointed to as saying, look, I, I mean, I saw something on Facebook the other day that says, said like 33, 32 out of 33 developed countries have single-payer healthcare. Isn't it time America does the same thing? Yeah. So this is another really funny myth that we always hear about, that all these other countries just have 
Bernie Sanders' healthcare proposal. And his healthcare proposal is some, simply something that has been tried and proven effective. The reality is that those countries do not have Bernie Sanders' healthcare system. Other countries do have a government that plays a larger role in providing health insurance. They fund it, and oftentimes they run those health insurance programs. But those most most of those countries do not prohibit health insurers from offering other benefits. That would be an insane abridgment of the rights of their citizens. In addition, those countries don't offer health insurance free at the point of care. Anything that is going to be offered free at the point of care is going to have massive cost overruns. And those countries know it, which is why other countries, they impose premium. They impose deductibles and co-pays, just like we do, just like the Medicare program right now. But Bernie Sanders' healthcare program completely eliminates any out-of-pocket expenses. Now, on the surface, that sounds great. I hate paying for things. The problem is that that would essentially cost $40 trillion to actually accomplish that program. And to get a sense of what that would actually mean for the average taxpayer, that would essentially mean doubling their income tax and payroll taxes. So that would mean an extra $18,000 that the average taxpayer would have to pay over to pay for this program. And <laughs> that is why other countries don't <laughs> organize their healthcare system that way, because nobody would stand for such an enormous tax increase. I don't know. I was told it would be free. I don't know where you're coming up with this. I mean, I, I was promised. I was promised that as well. <laughs> it would be free at the point of care. But during tax season, every business and every individual have to see their taxes double. And people can't live like that. You can't. It would be impossible to. It would be next to impossible for most people to pay their rent, to pay their mortgage, to pay for their car. And healthcare is important, you know, like every finding out a way to sustainably pay for healthcare, that is one of this country's great challenges. But that shouldn't be at the expense of taking care of all the other important things that are in life. Let's imagine for a second that this passes, this becomes the law of the land. What can we expect to happen when you when you think of what this will do outside of increasing costs and taxes, what will be the ramifications of this policy if put in place in the United States? So in addition to tax, enormous tax increases and in addition to people losing the health insurance that they, that they choose and want, it would also actually reduce access to healthcare. People would actually get less healthcare under this system because the way that this program claims that they are going to lower the cost of health care is that they are going to push everyone into this program. And then in turn, this program is going to pay every doctor about 50% less. Every doctor in every hospital is going to be paid about 50% less than what they're currently receiving right now from health insurance. Now, people have run numbers on this. This, this proposal has been around for a while and a lot of people wanted to figure out what would this actually do to the average hospital, uh, particularly in rural areas? And this would devastate the healthcare system that people right now rely on in this country. It would cause about a thousand rural hospitals and in some of the most underserved parts of the country to go out of business. 
Now that doesn't serve the healthcare interests of anybody in this country. If a thousand hospitals close, that means treatments aren't being provided, and that means emergencies aren't being dealt with. And this just goes to show that ironically, Medicare for all would cost a lot more and would actually deliver a lot less, which would be a terrible proposal if it actually went into effect. Part of our vision in the Stand Together community is breaking barriers. And it sounds like the vision of Medicare for all is breaking down the barriers of cost, of access, of, of being able to go, of, of worrying about the cost. You know, it sounds like that is a false vision. And, and I need to know from you, how would Medicare for all actually erect barriers? The goal is of Medicare for all is a good one. There are enormous barriers in this country, in our healthcare system that make access less achievable and make affordability less achievable. But the answer is not to throw up even more barriers. If you slash the payments of to doctors and hospitals, that's a barrier and that hospital closes. If you make it impossible for people to get a different health insurance plan to fit their needs, because remember, your health insurance needs, Dwayne, are different than mine which means we need a country that actually allows different P companies and different entrepreneurs to experiment and offer different choices. If Medicare for all comes in and wipes away any competing vision of what health insurance or healthcare looks like, that's another barrier. And <laughs> doubling ta the taxes that everyone pays, that's another enormous barrier. When I think about this, when I think about the fact that they would eliminate by force all uh, basically all the competition that that wrecks an, an incredible barrier to innovation as well and we see we constantly see the use of, of force through laws or regulations where innovation could be happening it isn't happening because people aren't allowed to 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 try new things we actually had to have a law put in place to allow terminal patients to try medication that might help them because there was a barrier from government that didn't allow that. So I, I see it isn't just access. It isn't just a barrier from me seeing the doctor of my choice, but it's a barrier from me and my family getting the, to the benefits of medical innovation. It, it isn't yeah. just a, a barrier between me and the doctor, me and the hospital. It's a barrier between me and what could be. A hundred percent. Yes. And there are some and there are plenty of products that, you know, as we get into old age and some condition, our conditions start to worsen. There's going to be more and more expensive health insurance services that need to be paid for through health insurance. And that's another place where med where innovation needs to happen. You know, there are plenty of health. There are new innovative ways for health insurers to cover people while also lowering the cost of care. But the, our enormous fear with Medicare for all and all these proposals is that if they wipe out any other competing vision, what health insurance looks like, then we actually cannot get those innovations that will actually not only cover us, but make sure that there's going to be a doctor in a hospital there to provide that care. One of my favorite 
solutions to this. And it's it's really, I don't know if it's innovative or not. It was new to me a few years ago it is a, as an option to uh, insurance is the idea of the way the system works is we all, you volunteer to join it. And rather than sending a healthcare insurance premium to the provider, they send you the list of one of their members who has a healthcare need and you send the money to that member's hospital. So everyone's coming together to play, pay this person's bill. It's completely voluntary. And from what I understand, it's effective. That sounds, I guess it's, to me, it sounds like what Medicare for all could do, but it, it isn't. <laughs> I mean, it isn't going to do that because it's so centrally planned. It's top down. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. You, you're, you're, you are, you are right though. Like the kernel of truth within the medic, all the Medicare for all proposals is that we need to make healthcare a lot more affordable and make it available to everybody. But that, but that statement should invite an enormous discussion that doesn't shut out ideas and then put in place a one size fits all solution. That should invite everyone to come to the table to really allow a lot of innovation to come forth to find the best ideas that can actually achieve that very important goal. But you don't start by saying we're going to eliminate any competing vision for what healthcare looks like or what health insurance looks like. This seems like a radical attack on equal rights, on, on natural rights, on the rights of the individual to choose their doctor to choose their health care to choose what they what how they are treated it seems like an attack on doctors for where they go and and how much they get paid it seems like i'm trying to find where this is respectful of equal rights and i'm coming up lacking it's it doesn't it doesn't respect it does not respect the rights of everyone in this country to actually find you know, the choices that meet their needs. Everyone has a different life circumstance, a different health condition, a different place that they live, a different circumstance. The solution to that challenge is that we need a healthcare and a health insurance system that allows different physicians and nurses and entrepreneurs to develop the right kind of clinics, the right kind of health insurance products to really meet those needs because there's going, truth be told, there will probably, if the Medicare for all system actually horribly <laughs> actually gets enacted, there will be some people who will benefit from that system, from that system because they have certain conditions and live in certain areas where that will meet their needs. The problem is that everyone else's needs wouldn't be met by this system. And so we need to allow that wellspring of innovation to really pour forth without imposing mandates and imposing restrictions. Well, that's really what it comes down to ultimately, isn't it? Is that there are no, there are no solutions. I mean, how many times have I said this on, on one of our podcasts? There are no solutions. There are only trade-offs and whatever, whatever policy is put in place, it isn't going to be utopian. There are not going. It, it, there are, is not a solution where everyone comes out of it miraculously perfect. There are trade-offs. What we have to do is look for the policy that creates the most good for the most people. 
And when you have a policy that the one of the very first things it does is poo-poo the idea of, of choice, of, of cast aside the idea of, of rights, that is, a, is an awful, awful option. Because we've seen throughout history, when this has been put in place, it has not worked out well. And there are stories from, I mean, Cuba to Great Britain to Canada that show the downsides of this and how it does not work out as people plan and how it does not respect equal rights. You don't even need to go abroad to learn the lessons of this. You know, <clears throat> the problems of our healthcare system, the reason why our healthcare system is so messed up in this country is because the government is already imposing enormous restrictions on the kind of health insurance products people can purchase and the kind of health care and services they can access. And Medicare for all proponents say this all the time. They say that your employer essentially is deciding the health insurance products and the medicines and the doctors you get to pick because they're the ones in charge, not you. And they're right about that. <laughs> but then they turn around and say, so we need the government to be the decider of this. When the solution is to put the individual in charge of what that health insurance product is that they're purchasing and remove the litany of barriers that are restricting their choices that, that are in their community in terms of the hospitals that they can visit, the clinics that they can visit. Once you actually clear that clutter away, then we can start really seeing like a real healthcare solution to take hold. When you talk about people being forced into this, people being forced into one size fits all healthcare, whenever I hear the word force, I know that this is not a mutually beneficial situation. Because when something is mutually beneficial, guess what? I don't need to be forced into it. No one needs to force me into a deal that benefits me. So clearly, if force is necessary, I would say this goes against the idea of mutual benefit. You're 100 you're 100 correct. People are people outside of the government-centric health insurance and healthcare system right now are flocking to other options, not because those other options, options like direct primary care or telehealth. People are flocking to those options not because somebody is forcing them at gunpoint or there's a law that's written that demanding they do that. They're going to all these new options because they're offering a essential service at a lower price that wasn't available before. And it's happening because of innovation. And yeah, that's just something we need to really see more of in this country. Just people seeing a lot more benefits and not being forced into not being forced into a solution, being trusted that they can make the right decision with their health care. The third one of our mutually mutually reinforcing principles, I should say, is openness. And it's clear that this is not something that deals in openness. This is very much a closed solution. How does this go against what we're talking about when we talk about the free movement of ideas, resources, and people generating knowledge, innovation, and opportunity. Well, open, like you said, openness is such an important principle in life and in society because when people have the choice to get the products that they want, to shop where they want, or go or work where they want, or to sell or start a business 
the way they see fit. The best ideas will thrive. The ones that actually meet the needs of others and the ones that don't will die on the vine. And the problem with Medicare for all is it doesn't allow this dynamic, really wonderful process to happen. What it does, it says that the government's going to create one, a completely new system and any other options are going to be illegal. So the health sharing ministry, health insurance example that you mentioned, direct primary care, all of these new innovations, these interesting things that are happening in healthcare right now, they wouldn't happen because the openness that currently exists in our system and we want more of wouldn't be able to take place because all of the competition would be rendered illegal. What about so, innovative places like the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, where they, they don't accept Medicare, they don't accept insurance, they want cash payments up front? What would happen to, yeah. to a, uh, a business like that? Well, the amazing thing about the Surgery Center of Oklahoma is, like you said, they don't deal with insurance. They don't deal with insurance on a fee-for-service basis. So that allows them to cut out a lot of administrative expenses that go along with dealing with health insurance companies. And because of that, they can offer lower prices and they can make it transparent. A big problem with our health insurance system right now is that, let's say, because Blue Cross Blue Shield is such a dominant player in the healthcare space, they get lower rates. But a lot of other health insurers that people are on, other people are on, they can't take advantage of those low prices. So nobody knows what other people are paying for. The beauty of the Oklahoma Surgery Center is that they said, we're going to cut out health insurance and we're going to offer one low price to everybody. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your health insurance plan. We're going to offer the same low price. And if that didn't and if Medicare for all was to come into existence and wipe out and just completely wipe out any options that people have, there's a good chance that that, that that innovative surgery center would go out of business. One thing that I was thinking about when we were talking about mutual benefit, and it slipped my mind, but I'm going to go ahead and bring it up now, is the idea of, of charitable hospitals, of charity hospitals. And there is mutual benefit in charity. I know that sometimes it gets a bad rap, but having been both on the receiving end and on the giving end of charity, I can tell you that when you're receiving it, it benefits you. But when you are helping others, when you are, are being charitable, when you're giving of yourself and you are helping those around you and you can see how that benefits them, that creates a benefit for yourself. It's, it, it does. What would happen... To, to charity hospitals in this Medicaid for all plan? That's a really interesting, that's a really hard question to answer, but I will say that it'll probably mean that those sorts of facilities and hospitals would be able to deliver a lot less care and may have to close because the way that they exist isn't by delivering charity care across the board. They accept a lot. They pay for, they deal with people with private insurance, which pay higher rates. But because of those higher reimbursement rates, they're able to deliver a lot more care at lower cost to a lot less fortunate people. So there's a good case to be made that 
if those private health insurance plans are wiped out, then those hospitals, those charity care hospitals wouldn't be able to deliver care to the less fortunate. And they may have to close entirely because, as I mentioned, a thousand rural hospitals, about a quarter of all the hospitals that are in rural areas right now would have to close. And that would just devastate access for a lot of low-income Describe the impact that Medicare for All would have on a person's ability to self-actualize. I mean, for starters, just take a look at that tax hike that I mentioned. $18,000 on the average person. If they were supposed, if somebody who was relatively healthy would have to, that was an average taxpayer, if they saw their taxes increase by $18,000, that would just make it so much harder for them to start a business. It would be so much harder for them to purchase an automobile, purchase a house, start a life anywhere. All of their money would be going into funding this giant health health insurance system that the government had created. And they just wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things that they really are looking forward to do. Like one of the great benefits of this country right now is that we have a system that allows people to keep more of their money. And that allows them to really try and experiment, experiment and sometimes even fail to try and do what they really want to do. And a real problem with this system is that it would just make it a lot harder for people to do that. If <laughs> If $18,000 was taken from them, um, the funding system. Yeah, think about what a, what a decrease, an $18,000 decrease in your standard of living would do to your ability to self-actualize. I mean, that would be, as, as a father, that would be devastating to me. But it, it goes yeah. beyond that because you talked earlier about while the, there's the promise of greater access, it would actually impact access to healthcare in a negative way. And believe it or not, it, a lot of people don't self-actualize when they're unable to get illnesses treated. Yeah, that's another fantastic point. Yeah, if our health insurance, if our healthcare system were to sustain, my goodness, a quarter reduction in the hospitals and facilities that are available to people right now, that would just mean that a lot of the health conditions that people are currently experiencing temporarily, say an emergency, would become a just lifetime limitation. A lot of conditions that would be fine or otherwise manageable if they were addressed immediately would dramatically reduce their standard of living, their ability to start a business or go to work somewhere else or move to a completely dark, different part of the country and start a new life. All of that would be inhibited if they got into a car accident or got an illness that wasn't able to be treated because our healthcare system just had sustained just such an enormous hit from Medicare for all. Well, what do you say to the folks who, who would listen to what you just said, Charlie, and say people can't self-actualize now because of the healthcare system, because of the way it is? There are people out there who are suffering from enormous healthcare costs, they'll never be able to self-actualize. There are people out there who are suffering from illnesses and don't have access now 
who will never be able to self-actualize. And so the only alternative to what the what we have now is Medicare for all. There is no other alternative. What would you say to those people? Our system is failing in all of those ways that they mentioned. When I'm saying that Medicare for all would be a terrible system, that's not me shutting down the conversation and shutting down the discussion. What I'm saying is that our healthcare system is way too inaccessible and way too unaffordable, and we need a solution to this. Medicare for all is not it. When I'm saying that, I'm saying we need solutions that actually do expand choices, put people more in charge of their health care and health insurance decisions, help them get options beyond their employer-based system, and really give people more options. Because when I said that this would lead to a reduction in core of the hospital, say Medicare for all came into effect. Well, even if that didn't happen, there are way too few hospitals in this country. In especially in rural and underserved areas. There are way too few hospitals, clinics, nursing homes, way too little home health. We need a lot more of those services. So what I'm saying is let's come together and just see what actually works to actually bring more doctors and nurses into underserved areas to actually make sure that care is delivered. And let's make sure that it's actually affordable. And one of the ways that we talk about doing that is the personal option. And we have the website, thepersonaloption.com. And there is another podcast where we talk with Dean Clancy about the personal option and kind of walk through it. So if you're interested in, and that, I think that's one of the, the big problems that that we saw when there was the opposition to Obamacare. It was, you're against this, but what are you for? And yeah. we can come out and talk about how bad Medicare for all is. The question always is, well, what's the alternative and what's your solution? Yeah. So this is the act. This is the exciting part of the conversation. So we, our system, even putting Medicare for all aside, has way too little choice. And patients have way too little control. And that is mostly chalked up to the fact that we have a tax code that pushes people to be reliant on their employer. And like I mentioned, your, your employer, your employer and my employer, Dane, they're, Dwayne, they're the ones that decide what sort of health insurance plan we get, the doctor network, and the medicines that are available. What the personal option says is we want to allow people to purchase health insurance outside of our employer-based system. Now, what does that mean? That means expanding health savings accounts, expanding the options in them so that people can purchase any health insurance product that they want on the open market. So under our current, so what, what this would look like is instead of us being reliant on purchasing a plan <clears throat> that our employer decides for us, they instead put a, a tax-free contribution into an account, a health savings account, and then you can take that account and purchase a low deductible plan, a high deductible plan, a direct primary care plan if you want on the open market. And this dramatically expands the options that you have, Dwayne, to get a health insurance plan that fits your needs. And it would be totally in con your control and you would have a lot of incentive to seek the lowest cost care. So you would be able to make, 
achieve significant savings going to, say, a surgery center instead of a hospital or getting home health instead of going to a nursing home. So this could really also go towards bending the cost curve as well, which is another huge problem in the healthcare system. It seems like what you're describing here is is a simple choice between two options. The one option is that you can have a healthcare system that you as an individual can cater and choose and select the options that best fit your specific individual needs that allow you to make the choices and find solutions that are closest to your problems versus a system that would turn those choices over to some faceless bureaucrat in a government office somewhere in Washington, D.C. to decide not only what is best for you, but what is best for your children, your city, your community, your your state, and the entire country. And frankly, I don't see that as being a very good choice. I mean, there's clearly one option that would be better than the other. Yes. And it's not just one option. The personal option has a health savings account component, which is a, a big part. But there's also a lot of solutions that we're proposing on the community level as well. Every, virtually every state imposed restrictions on the ability of hospitals to open because there are these laws called certificate of need laws. States impose all sorts of barriers on the ability of nurse practitioners to practice in rural areas because of scope of practice restrictions. So our personal option isn't like Medicare for all, where we're just going to wave a wand or pass one bill. This is essentially a discussion about just all the litany of barriers that are in our system from the national level and our tax code, like I mentioned, all the way to your individual community level. And so the personal option is just saying, because we trust you and we trust your doctor and our healthcare providers all over the country, we want to clear away that clutter and give providers and patients more autonomy to decide how they're going to deliver care and receive care. And so that's what it is. It, it is a choice between a lot more control from somebody that is distant, or are we going to give people control that are at the ground We've spent a lot of time talking about Medicare for All and a little bit of time talking about the personal option. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about coming into this interview that I just haven't asked any questions about yet? I think we should just really hammer home the point that this is about trust. This is about trusting that individuals know their circumstances and communities know their circumstances best. They know their conditions. They know the, their background that they've come from. They know the circumstance, the geographic circumstances in which they live. And that means we need to give people more choice and control over their health care and health insurance decisions so that they can decide what is about health, health insurance plan for me in my town so I can find the doctors or nurses and cover them in a way that actually delivers care. And that's what this, and I think that this is where, this is what this whole discussion boils down. It's we trust patients in their individual communities and we want to empower them with just a lot more control 
Thanks again to Charlie Katabi for taking the time to explain this complex issue to us. And if you have any questions about it, please send me an email at i2a at afphq.org. I'm Dwayne Lester, and this has been Insight to Action.